Hi folks, Jack Spierko here. Today you are listening to an episode of TSP Rewind. <laughs> Commercial free versions of past episodes. Podcasts blast from the past. I put these up when I can't do a show due to professional commitments or rare vacations. These podcasts will appear in standard iTunes, Stitcher, and other feeds, but will be titled TSP Rewind Episodes and numbered accordingly. And today, folks, we are rewinding back to episode 2430. It was called The Death of Personal Responsibility, and it was originally first published on May the 2nd, 2019. As, uh, in this series, as we go through these rewinds, we're getting closer and closer to current time. I did that um, kind of as planned. In other words, I started at a certain point. And I just decided, hey, this is the first one we're going to do. And then I just went in order in the Insurrection series. So uh, by the time we get to the end of this, we'll be well less than a year going back, which I think is interesting because most of the time when I've left you with rewinds, I've left you with fairly old shows. And probably the next time I do rewinds, I will go back to that pattern. But I think moving around is useful. But I did not select the episodes based on the, the, the timeline, really. I selected episodes all out of the Insurrection series because I wanted this series to be 100% motivational. And I wanted it to be 100% solutions-based. And I wanted it to be as little as possible with any sort of temporal anchor. So a temporal anchor would be like if, if right now I were talking deeply about uh, the riots or COVID. That's a temporal anchor. And you know, a year from now, two years from now, you may not even really care, and there's something to think about there with Circle of Influence, Circle of Concern, right? Uh, so a lot of times, and I think this is why a lot of shows that are in the news and the mainstream media, and they try to skin podcasting, it doesn't really work that well for them, because I, I think people go to podcasting more to learn than to be uh, informed, and more to be entertained through learning than to be informed because inf information is something that is abundant. So I think when a person comes to a podcast, they're not worried about, well, what happened today? They're, they're more concerned about, well, what does what happened today mean for me, even if they are worried about current events? But I think the l largest majority of a podcast audience wants the information to be in some way evergreen or timeless for it always to matter. Because a lot of times when you find a really good podcast, you might go through the archives and, and do what we're doing here. I just did it for you, which is pick older episodes and listen to them. And that if you think about the way this used to be before the days of podcasting and the Internet, when you wanted this type of content, you got you know basically tapes or, or what have you. And maybe you would be in a book uh, or get like a book on tape or something, and you would be in your car – You put those old, you know, cassette tapes in, or if you're really old, at night eight tracks. I don't, I don't know if the motivational speakers, authors type education edutainment was ever on eight track. I don't know if it was around that that far back. It might have been too expensive to produce. I mean, anybody can make a cassette. At least it used to be that way, right? So that was the type of place that you went. I mean, I listened to tons of things on business and, and history and motivation and lifestyle development and things like that when I was a young man. And the only way to do that was you went out and you spent 50 bucks for 10 tapes. And today you have this almost limitless library of podcasts that, that go into every walk of life. And I think the reason that people like, you know, a Sean Hannity or whatever that just takes their show and repackages it into a podcast, they don't do that well. 
Now, you, if you compare them to, you know, Bobby starting up his podcast on NASCAR from his house, they do better, but they really don't. Because Bobby doesn't have, you know, a $50 million a year salary, and Bobby doesn't have a $250 million a year marketing budget. Bobby doesn't have, you know, giant pharmaceutical companies as his sponsor through an, a, a news network like, like Fox News. So Bobby has to start from nothing. And when you, when you rectify that, you see that these big-time people that are now doing podcasts that are not really podcasts, they're just repackaging of their material, they don't do that well. They don't do that well. So I, I try to do as many shows like today's show as possible where we avoid temporal anchors. And even if we use temporal things, i.e. riots or whatever, they are timeless. In other words, the principle applies whether that temporal activity is ongoing or not. And, of course, everything in society is cyclical. So I can, I can make a, a, a prediction for you right now with 100% accuracy and no Spear Godamas self-patting on the back at all. Between now and 2025, there will be another large outbreak of riots somewhere in the United States that will be somewhat similar to what you're looking at now. Do you know why I know that? Because there always is. There always is. You're not going to go five or ten years in the United States without having some riots break out in some major city somewhere over something. You're not. Because we haven't. Even in times of relative calm and peace, and I would say between the, the end of the, the big riots in the 70s and now, we've had relative calm and peace. There's still You've never gone five years without seeing some sort of riots. What made L.A. so unbelievable for people when that happened over Rodney King was how big it was and I basically you've had an emulation of that in many cities which was the big fear when that happened and that country still didn't burn down but something will happen and and, and somebody will snap a gasket and someone will go out and do it and I, I really recommend for those of you that get so tied up in all of this reading a book and I, I, I don't know I think I've talked about it because I did these in advance and I, I pretty much plan this is a Saturday and I plan on Monday to, to mention this in depth on the regular show uh, Illuminatus Trilogy I really recommend people read that book and I, I recommend you read that book because it will help you to separate yourself from the nonsense going on around you it really will because and, and again it, this book is not factual This is not a documentary. It is a conspiracy novel woven with science fiction and metaphysical, almost complete nonsense, with drug-induced hallucinations. And But every major conspiracy that's ever existed is woven into it. And dozens of what you think are original ideas for science fiction, etc., come right out of this. It's also for adults only. Do not give this to your 12-year-old. Your You'll have a lot of explaining to do if you do. This is an adults-only book uh, written by Robert Shea and Robert Anton Wilson. And I'm going to give you the big takeaway, and it won't be a spoiler, but it won't be as effective as if you actually take the time to read the books. And It's one book that's really three books. But the big takeaway is that all of these organizations... And there's representations of actual organizations called something different in them. Like there's a representation that's clearly Planned Parenthood, and clearly Planned Parenthood as it existed in the 1970s, right? Um, and then like a, 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 an anarcho, uh, like an ANCOM organization, which would be very similar to Antifa, even though the book was written 30, 40 years before Antifa was a thing. 
And then very clearly there's a group in the book that seems like anarcho-capitalist to the extreme. Agbert Selene, right? And his submarine and his little army and what have you. Um, and in the end, all of these groups that think that they're waging their own battle are actually being used by the people in power even if they disagree with the people in power 100%, even if they disagree with the group they think they're working against, the two groups are actually being used to work together to move everything to a specific direction. And when you realize that that pretty much is how society works, and I, I won't go deeper into that today because it's, really it's really not directly related to what we're, we're talking about today. But once you realize that, then you realize that being as autonomous as possible is the only solution. And working on your life first is the only solution. Because if you, if you go into a collectivist mindset, no matter how much you agree with the collectivist mindset, you are subject to being used as a tool by those in power. Because anything that is big enough, that it's, that's an organizational size, that can be looked at and identified, can be manipulated because people behave in certain ways with certain patterns. It's very simple. You don't have to even have an advanced understanding of human psychology to be able to say this group will respond X way to y, in, y stimulus. And if we move this group X way through Y stimulus, this other group will respond in B way. And if we add to it Z stimulus, this will be the sum total of the result of those two groups. That's how easy it is to manipulate people once they form a mob, even if it looks like an organized mob, even if it looks like a well controlled mob, even if it looks like a very nice, peaceful, protesting mob. It doesn't matter. Once you have people acting collectively, it's very easy to understand what the results of anything you do to that group or any stimulus you give that group are going to be. And then it's very easy to control the whole damn world. Lots of people refer to this as the New World Order. I simply refer to it as people with power exercising their power over people that are easy enough to control. So you have to work on your individual world first. And then small groups are far more effective than large groups. It's much more difficult to deal with a small group. The smaller and more leaderless an organization, the more effective it is in actually fighting for what it is looking for. Does that make sense? I, I, I really hope uh, that it does. So on that, let's get into today's step. So let's just review the steps up till now that I've given you. Determine what you have that you don't want. Step two, determine what you want that you don't have. Three, determine where you really want to build your life. Four, write your first series of how can I questions down based on the last three steps. Five, develop your financial plan. Many call it a budget, but I mean more than that. And I won't re-explain what that is. You should know by now. Six, make a list of everything you already have and are grateful to have, everything you love about your life, your work, etc. Seven, do a deep analysis of what concerns you, what you influence, and what you control. Step eight yesterday was turn off the effing news for a week, just a week. Hopefully you've done that. Nine, I want you today to get those how can I questions out. How can I have more money in my life? How can I have more time freedom? How can I get the property that I want? Whatever. How can I build my life in the place that I've said I want to build it? Whatever it is. I want you to take those li that list, and I want you to review it today. And I want you to grill yourself. Now that you know, you know what, how can I X? I want you to grill yourself on how I am going 
to get them done. I want you to start coming up with some answers. And you're not going to get answers to every one of them. But remember I said when you make that list to leave space between it, so when you write down your list, how can I get more money in my life? Leave a lot of space under that one. How can I have more time freedom? How can I have a property like fill in the blank? How can I start a business for myself? Right? How can I get promoted at work? How can I find a better job? How can I find a job that allows me to work from home at least part of the time? Whatever it is for you. right? I can't write your questions. I want you to start coming up with some answers. And I want you to write those answers underneath the questions. And then I want you to do something that's difficult for many people to do. I want you to be your own boss. And I want you to be a ruthless, heartless bitch of a boss, but one that actually cares about their people and actually wants them to become successful. So I want you to then grill yourself in your internal dialogue. Okay, how are you going to do this? Okay, is that reasonable? Okay, when can you start? Okay, what is the priority of this over this? Which one are you going to do first? Which one are you going to do today? Okay, you said you're going to do that one today. You said you're going to start working on it today. How are you going to do that today? Great, get on it. Then go back into your other body and go, okay, that's all I'm going to do. And go do something. Take a step today for one of those things. And if you won't, if you won't, this is where I'm going to, I said 13 stomps instead of 13 steps. If you won't, you are not ready yet. You don't want it. You are full of shit. You are full of shit. Everything you've done in this process up till now, if you won't take, if you won't find, if you won't stretch, if you won't do everything you can to find one, here's a word you don't usually like, and I'm not going to give you any more warning than that. If you won't do one fucking thing today to get something done in that direction, you are full of shit and you don't really want it and you're waiting for somebody to do it for you. Here's the good news. Right now, this second... You can flip a switch and change that. You can flip and switch and change that. Because I'm going to tell you, that the bad news is no one is ever going to do it for you. No one is ever going to give it to you. It is never going to effing happen unless you do it. And all of the things in the world that you think are luck, well, that was lucky because the person, you or otherwise was in the right mindset to recognize the opportunity when it occurred and to do something with it. Well, right now, since life's not just handing you an opportunity, even though it might be, maybe you're not ready to see it yet, because it takes a lot of work before we can see the negative as a positive. It takes a lot of work before we can look at the thing and go, gee, that sucks, but danger and opportunity are the root of crisis. Right? It takes a long time when we can see that. So now... We have to literally create for ourselves an opportunity to act. Will you? Will you? And if you've pushed out and you haven't made any of these lists because you didn't think it was really for you and Jack's just giving you a homework assignment, rush through it. Do it. Just start writing. Get a freaking notebook. Get some scrap paper. Get a freaking note application in your freaking phone. Just do it. Make all the lists I've told you to make up till now. And then today, do one thing. Do one thing. How hard is it to do one thing? Let me tell you the answer to that. 
if you haven't ever done this before, it's actually extremely difficult. And it's a 100% mental block. It's not physically difficult. It's not logistically difficult to find one thing you can do to move in the right direction. It is emotionally, spiritually, and mentally difficult. It's psychologically difficult. Because, you know that switch I said you could throw? It's actually how you really throw the switch. The second you do it, what you end up saying internally, and this is very hard to accept, is everything is my responsibility, and most things are my fault. While we live in a world, while we absolutely positively live in a world where everything is said to be somebody else's fault, it's everybody's fault but mine, And taking that on will mean that a lot of things that you've been able up till now to put an emotional shield around yourself with and say, it wasn't my fault, there was nothing I could do. You realize, even if it wasn't your fault, there was probably something more you could have done. And then you're going to have to, it's, it's, it's the matrix, you know, red pill, blue pill. All of a sudden, I'm going to have to do this forever. I can never go back to sleep. And you know at least subconsciously, and now you know right in the frontal freaking part of your brain, because I'm telling you, right, that that is the case. That I'm literally going to make this decision, and I'm never going to be able to put everything back in the, in the box again and pretend ever again that I don't have complete control over what happens to me. And you're thinking, Jack, no one has complete control over what happens to you. No, you have complete control over what happens to you in that you control how you react to everything that occurs in your life. If something happens to you that's going to take your life, you even have control over how you die. I will give you that if somebody walks up behind you right now and shoots you in the back of the head, and you just die, you have no control over that. I'll give you that. But if you go to the doctor today and they tell you you have cancer, and you have six months to live, you have control over how you live for those six months. And if you have control over that, then everything else you also have control over. You have to accept it. Either one's true or one's, or if, if that's true or false. And once that one's true, it's all true. In the world of self-defense, we teach it as everything that happens is my responsibility. Doesn't matter if I caused it. Doesn't matter if it's good or bad. Doesn't matter if I could have done something to prevent it or I couldn't have done anything to prevent it. In the end, whatever happens is my responsibility. And as I finish up this new intro, it, it amazes me again, the synchronicity that seems to constantly show up at TSP, because today's show, that we're rewinding back to you right now, is all about personal responsibility. So here we go, all the way back to episode 2430, the death of personal responsibility, and hopefully in this case, somewhat of a resurrection as well. And, uh, and that really takes us into today's concept of the death of of personal responsibility in America. So this actually was spurred on by something you wouldn't think would lead here. Um, I have often quoted Jeff Lawton when he said all the world's problems could be solved in a garden. Somebody recently emailed me and says, is that, is that pie in the sky or do you really believe that, Jack? Do you really believe that we can solve every problem the world has in a garden? My response was, absolutely, but you need personal responsibility as well. And almost like the, gra the, the graphic of the guy standing there and the point going over his head, right? The, the, the person came back and said, personal responsibility of the gardener 
or of the world? Well, if we're going to solve all the problems of the world, obviously both. But missing the point entirely, first, the gardener, and the gardener in this example is you. Because it doesn't necessarily have to be a garden. It's you. The key is the rest of the world is not ever going to be personally responsible for shit until the minority that actually see value in such things shuts up about it and just gets on with doing it. This is one of the many reasons, for instance, that politics is dead to me. I see the same bullshit from both sides, and I ain't talking about the elected clowns at this point. I'm talking about the people watching the circus and choosing a group of clowns to root for. The left attacks the right, the right attacks the left. Everyone agrees that government sucks and that it's corrupt, but they want more of their kind of government. So here's another quote, and this one is my own. Here is everything wrong with government, along with my plan to make government bigger and more powerful, said by every politician ever. That is literally every campaign speech that every politician ever since the beginning of politicians and elections has given. Here's everything that's wrong with government. Here's everything government screwed up. Here's how corrupt government is. Here is my plan. And even when I say we need less government, whatever, when you listen to my plan, I want to make my kind of government that I think you want when you're listening to me bigger and more powerful, even though it's the problem. So it's clear that the solutions that exist are really outside of the state and its systems. But it's equally clear to me, based on how much participation in this ass clown circus there is, that the majority of people, the average person, has no interest in solution, only blame. Because when we move from, from blame to solution, it requires us to do something other than bitch about it or think that when my guy takes over, he'll fix it for us. So, what's the answer? You know what I'm going to say. If you're a long-time listener, even a mid-time listener, your own backyard. Your own backyard. And your own backyard includes your side yard, your friends, your porch, your life, your bank account, your children, all that stuff. Stuff you can put your hands on, do something with. And as always, that brings us back to the circles. And I've changed what I call you know, circle of influence, circle of concern, circle of control. We're going to talk about this now. But you know what I actually have called, started calling them now? The circles of life. You know, we have this thing that we're taught in biology class, the circles of life. The animal is born, and this animal is prey, so it becomes, you know, uh, the prey to this lion, and the lion eats it, but it propagates itself in such numbers, and this is the circle of life, and this is the way of things. Well, for us, the circles of concern, influence, and control, first really put out there by Stephen Covey, but it's been a thing Forever, as long as humans have been around, these circles have existed, whether we've talked about them or not, are the real circles of life. Again, your circle of concern, your circle of influence, and your circles of control. Now, the reason I call them the real circles of your life is in your head anyway. You will spend every waking moment, we'll put your dreams on the shelf and not count them, but every moment that you are awake and conscious of your life, you are going to spend your time mentally inside one or multiples of those circles. And if your mind is in your circle of concern, you physically 
and your actions are also in your circle of concern. So they are literally the circles of your life. This is your choice. Remember, you get a. I'm, I was born in 1972. Right now, my epitaph reads 1972 space hyphen present. Because we don't know when that other year is going to be yet. I could get hit by a gravel truck tomorrow. I could live to be 101 years of age. I watched an amazing show last night. You guys, if you like food and you just like stories of people around the world, you got to look this up. It's on Netflix. It's an original. It's called Street Food. And I watched the fourth edition last, the fourth episode of the first season last night, and they were in Malaysia. And there was a woman that was still cooking street food. She says, I'm 100 now. Old, broke down, missing a lot of teeth. I don't think she had any left. Hunched over, but loving what she's doing. Hers says, 1919 space hyphen present. She's made a choice with what she's doing with her life for those 100 years. Your epitaph right now reads, the day you were born, space hyphen, space present. But you don't know where that's going to be filled in. And every day you choose to spend the majority of your time in your circle of concern, influence, or control. Now, the thing is that the weakest circle is the circle of concern. This is everything you're worried about. The video of the social just warrior bitch crying about some crap that's ridiculous. Doesn't really affect your life, but you're worried about it. The fact that college kids need safe spaces, you're worried about it. Okay. And there is some way that things that are in our circle of concern can affect us. The majority of them don't. Right? The majority of them are Ebola. But if Ebola ever did morph into something different than it is and end up in the United States and really was killing people, then it would be something you don't control. But it does concern you for a reason, and you would have to do some of the things we'll talk about in a minute. But in the end, you don't control this thing. And most people, that precious hyphen that's in the middle of those two years, that right now, You're blessed. It says present instead of when that number is filled in, you're done. Spend the majority of that hyphen inside that circle, the weakest one. Now, the second circle is far more powerful to be in. is your circle of influence. This is all the things you're concerned about in some way, shape, or form that you can influence, but you can't control. If you're a parent to an adult child, or you're an adult with a parent probably understand this. It's a perfect example. I personally feel I have a lot of influence in the life of my son, my daughter-in-law, and my grandchildren. When they want advice, I give it. Sometimes I see an issue that I've been through, and I give them advice when it's not asked. My son, however, is a grown-ass man. It's his family. He makes the call. All I am is an influencer. He is a decider. And even for him, he only decides so much on behalf of his wife, and she only decides so much on behalf of him. And even as good parents, they only decide so much on behalf of their children. And as their children age, they get to decide less and less as that child's will becomes more and more mature. And hopefully the brain does as well. And then there are things that we cannot control even in our children. And our job, of course, our job as parents is what? 
to work ourselves out of the job of parenting. We'll always be mom and dad. We'll always be there for advice, support, etc. But if we need to be there to exercise control in the lives of our children when they are legally adults, we have not completed our task. We should be removing restrictions from our children every year as they develop the self-discipline to not need our rules. Right? And that is a great way to understand how influence works. I influence tons of you guys. But in the end, what you do is up to you. The third circle is the most powerful, powerful circle. It is your circle of control. Things that you care about, want, whatever, that you can go effing do. And sadly, my friends, and remember, the date you were born, space hyphen, space present, the majority of people in the world spend the least amount of that hyphen inside the circle that they control. The most powerful thing to control the path that their lives take, they spend the least amount of effort with. The most important thing about this circle is you control your actions in it, but your thoughts as well. If you have a property that you own, and you have a backyard, and you want a garden there, you can damn well go out there and plant a garden. There's a hundred different ways to do it. Raised beds, in the ground, containers, wicking beds, aquaponics. But damn it, you can have one. But if you don't like gardens, it's not your thing, then thoughts of gardens are not something you need to concern yourself with. Got it? Because it applies to everything the same way. The key here is you control what you think, how you learn, how you act, all those things, and you don't get to do this for any other human on the planet. Not your kids, not your wife, not your niece, not your dad, not your mom, not your twin effing brother. You get one life, one life where you are the ultimate decider of what you do and what you think about, how you act, what you learn, and when you get to a fork in the road, whether you go left or right. You get one. Now, some folks you might have more influence with than others. Again, your spouse or your child. Or in, let's say, a formal student-teacher relationship. If I'm teaching martial arts, you're paying me to teach you. I probably have a great deal of influence. Not only on what we do in a dojo, but when you go home, the fact that you practice what I've taught you. Because it was important enough for you to call me your teacher and to pay me for my teaching. But even then, humans are sovereign over themselves. At least they should be. Because the number one way to get out of the burden and the blessing that is personal responsibility is to sign over your sovereignty to somebody else. That way you can blame them when things go wrong. You know? Of course, we have another word for when we sign over our sovereignty to another person. It's called slavery. When we break it down that way, we realize quite logically we should be spending the majority of our lives inside our circle of control. And in our actions alone, we will naturally expand our circle of influence. As to our circle of concern, it should be like weather radar. And so this is pretty simple to understand. Not yesterday, the day before, we had some really severe storms kind of move through the area. We actually had 
a tornado go over our house. I watched it on the radar. There was nothing to see here. The rain was going one way really, really fast sideways, and then it went the other way really, really fast sideways. It went over. So it was a tornado that was forming but had not touched down. So what did we do? We got everything ready to move into our safe space of the house, watched it on radar. As we realized it wasn't really going to get us, we went back to our lives. Because this was something I did not control. I did not control whether or not that turbulence touched down. And about a mile from here, over by the marina on Eagle Mountain Lake, it touched down and tore up houses, the marina, the trees. It did what tornadoes do. Now, that was within my circle of control, how we responded to it. It was in my circle of concern that it was there. Further, using my circle of influence. As soon as it passed, my son got here, picked up the kids, took them home. I had to run an errand. I turned the radio on. I'm still paying attention to it. And I hear, hey, this thing is now headed for Keller. I got family in Keller. I get on the phone with the wife. Hey, get a hold of Nick and Courtney and let them know that, you know, this is going on because they don't really pay attention that much. That's my circle of influence. I don't control whether or not they then take precautions. But I did the thing I could do. I used my influence. I used my influence. But I have never, ever fooled myself into believing by watching that radar, by making that phone call, I'm going to change what that tornado is going to do. I don't control the tornado. I am only worried about the tornado when it's going to impact people that I can influence. And that's everything in life. I can sit here and be mad at what some people are doing on the other side of the world, or I can do something right now. And sadly, most people spend the majority of their waking hours where? In that circle of concern. This is what leads almost directly to a society totally divorced at this point from personal responsibility. In short, America and the developed world in general has become a society where the average person continuously tells their neighbor, you need smoke alarms. And their neighbor is looking at this person and behind them, their own home has smoke billowing up out of the roof. And we need to start thinking about how we can change that. And it all comes back to us. It all comes back to us. Here's, here's an example of the thinking that we need to be implementing into our lives. And this is an example of how quickly, once we do it, it permeates every single part of our lives. We become more adaptable and we can get away with things within our systems of control. That's another circle, maybe, of control. The external system of control where there are certain things that control you. You, you control how fast you drive your car, but if you drive it way too fast and kill somebody or yourself, you got a problem. But even if you don't, you got a problem with the fact that law enforcement will give you a ticket. Whether or not that actually was too fast for the conditions is based on an arbitrary sign in that situation. You don't control that sign. All right? But we can be clever, and we can design around restrictions. So here's an example of a restriction. So I don't remember who it was today. Somebody posted in the survival podcast form, and I didn't even read the full deal on it. But this guy wants to put in a chicken and guinea coop in his property. And because of where he lives, he needs a permit. It's a permit. And I didn't look closely at the plans because I was getting ready to do the show, and I was getting the wife and granddaughter out of the house, out of a nice, quiet home to do my show from for a change today. And uh, it's always exciting. I love quiet. My, my, my grandson asked me yesterday, Papa Jackson, what's your favorite place? I said, the woods. He goes, oh, 
Do you have any other favorite places? It's like fishing on a lake. He goes, do you have a favorite place where people are? And I said, library. He goes, why a library? Because of the books. I said, no, because it's quiet there. Like, quiet. Anyway, so I'm looking at this guy's design. He wants to put some IBCs in for water catching. All kinds of things that are going to make this coop more sustainable and be cool design and permaculture type thing. And my first thought, my initial first thought was, well, design the thing to the dimensions you need to do all the things that you want it to do and just call it a shed. Get the Department of Making You Sad to come out and sign off on it. And then once they go away, they're never coming back. You got a permit to build it. Now just go ahead and modify it as you see fit. And I immediately thought, wait a minute. What if I lived in a place where I needed a permit to put in a shed um, and I wanted to build a tiny house? And if I tell the Department of Making You Sad that I'm going to have this house and when people come to my house as my guests, they can stay out there like a guest house. Oh, you can't do that. Oh, no, 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 no. Well, why not just build it as a shed? Whether I want to build it like a little walk cabin shed or I just want to have the Home Depot or Lowe's people come out and put it together in a day as a tough shed and then I'm going to insulate it. Why not just, okay, here's my plan. Okay, you can do that. All right. And whatever they say I got to do to do it, okay, I'll give you that. And they're not coming back when I add a window. They're not coming back when I add insulation. They're not coming back when I do all this stuff. And will that work in every instance? Will they always not be coming back? I think it'll work in most instances, if not many. My point isn't even that. My point was the second I saw the issue, my mind went to the solution. Not to the fact that I was angry at the issue in the first place. Because this is what happens. People go and they want to do something. Now I need a permit to do this. Now I'm angry at the fact that I need a permit to do this. And I focused on how much bullshit it is that somebody can tell me what I can and can't do on my own property. The, the emotion is valid, but it does not address the issue. It does not solve the problem. It is not a solution. The solution is a many things. The solution is how do I design around the restriction or do I need to leave this place and go somewhere where the restriction doesn't exist so I can have the life that I want or can I not design around this restriction so I find other ways to be happy where I am and fall in love with my place and grow where I'm planted. Those are the three options you have. You actually don't have a fourth option. You can go lobby the government to change it and I'm glad when people do it and I'm glad when they succeed. But it is the option with the least likelihood of success. It really is. And so we need to, to change the mindset, not of America, but of ourselves. And if we can, to whatever degree we can, to those we directly influence. And thereby their actions, their understanding of this, will then change the actions and the thoughts of the people they directly influence, and thereby our indirect influence is causing change in people we never met. I am not a member of the Nirvana Club or the Utopia Club or anything like that. I'm not going to pretend that if, if everybody, and 200,000 people listen to this show a day. I, I think I did the download count for Corey's show. We probably got a little help. 
because he did a little promotion for us, but not a bunch. It was like 220-something thousand people downloaded that show since I published it over 48 hours. It's pretty amazing. But I'm not going to pretend that if every single person that hears this today, let's say we do that well, we hit over 200,000 people again today. All of us listen to this and say, you know what, Jack's right. I've already been doing this some, but I'm going to commit myself to this. And I'm going to check myself daily. And I'm going to live the most proactive and productive life I can inside my circle of control possible. And barely, and almost no one even barely backslides. I'm not going to tell you in a generation that this entire country will change. I don't know that it will. But the lives of every person that takes that journey will. And isn't that what's important? If you want to be happy, it's your responsibility to make yourself happy. Uh, one of the radio personalities I do occasionally catch, again, I don't drive much anywhere anymore, but sometimes I find myself out there and I put talk radio on, and the first thing I think is, no wonder my podcast is so successful. Because even if you like this person, if you listen to this channel for an hour, you might get 27 minutes of actual content from them. But I was actually getting some content from Dennis Prager, and this was around Christmas time. And what I like about Prager, I don't agree with all his politics, but I, I love the intellectual, logical nature of his approach to things. And someone called in and they said they just didn't feel like it was really a merry, happy Christmas. They didn't feel in the spirit. And they didn't know why. And his response wasn't, well, you know, people just don't care as much anymore. Or, well, you know, we need to have society go back to when people went around singing Christmas carols. Or, well, you know, they need to do better Christmas shows on TV. His response was very simple. It's your responsibility to make it a Merry Christmas. It's your responsibility to make it feel like the holidays. That's your responsibility. That One of the great tragedies in America today is that we've become convinced that things just happen. They just should be. At Christmas time, it should feel like Christmas. Well, that's not how it works. And we have been tricked through false nostalgia to believe that that's how it ever worked. I remember when I was a young person and Christmas was amazing to me. And I'm not talking about being a little kid and Santa and all that stuff. I'm talking about you, my teens in the military. I always loved Christmas. Even when I was away from home in Panama, like we would, you know, we'd put up a little Christmas tree at the NCO club and whatever. And I remember people were all miserable around Christmas. As old as I am, that's two and a half decades ago, folks. A little bit more. Almost three. 1972 hyphen present. I'm aware of that time going away. And I'm not willing to waste it. That's what I'm trying to get through to you today. If we don't take control of every situation that we can control, inevitably, that energy... And that thought process is being focused on that which we do not control. At best, we influence. At best, we influence. But it's not where we end up. That's why people right now are always outraged. People in this country are addicted to being outraged. They actually go searching for something to be outraged about. And then they'll put more effort into the thing they're outraged about that they literally have no influence, let alone control over, than they will over the things that they actually influence. Here's an example recently. Some some twit up in Seattle area, Washington, somewhere up around there, right? She's a state senator in Washington State, not a federal senator in Washington, D.C. State senator in Washington State. 
I looked it up, and in a state Senate district in Washington, you'll have about 180,000 people. Of that, you know, half of all people vote, and then you got a whole segment that are children and, and what have you. So maybe 50,000 people vote. Maybe 60,000 people vote if you're lucky in a senatorial district. And then you have out of that, let's say it's 50,000, you got 25, you got about 20,000 that are going to vote Democrat, uh, if it's Hitler reincarnated. And you got about 20,000 that are going to vote Republican if it's Stalin reincarnated. And you got about 5,000 people that swing a vote. So those 5,000 people are literally the only thing this dingbat cares about. Now, what she did, they were going, and it, it, the whole thing was even taken out of context on top of it all. They were making a law that in the state of Washington, that a nurse on a shift that had a break for, for basically lunch, let's say a half hour, I don't remember the exact numbers or whatever, but if you have a 30-hour break for meals, that that nurse had to take that break. The hospital not only couldn't make her not take her break, But to make sure it wasn't being influenced through reviews or whatever, she couldn't choose to not take that break. Guy's dying over there in the ER. They're out of nurses. That, got to take my, my dinner break. This lady says, this senator, that she it started out she wanted an exception for hospitals below a certain size. You're talking about podunk hospitals that are barely able to keep their doors open as it is. And she said, the way she was trying to make her point, she said something really stupid. She said, in some of these hospitals, these nurses probably play cards most of the day. Now, that outraged nurses everywhere. Nurses unite. Nurses are going to get this evil woman because she attacked all nurses. And the emotion comes up. And, ah, how dare you say that? And uh, my wife is a nurse. How dare you say that? She, you're like, all nurses are heroes. Like, all teachers are heroes. Like, all cops are heroes. Like, just the same stupid shit over and over again, right? Now, I know I'm going outside of my circle of control, but I'm in my circle of influence with you guys, and I'm using this as a teaching moment. I don't actually give a shit. I don't care. I'm telling you how this whole thing goes down. So somebody gets an idea. I know to show this woman that she is a piece of shit, we shall all go to Amazon, spend our good money, and send her playing cards. Okay. Yay! We did something. You spent a whole shitload of money and a whole shitload of time and a whole shitload of your, your mental process, and you sent this woman a deck of cards. So she gets like 50,000 decks of cards or something stupid like that, right? Probably none from her district. And she takes a picture smiling with this big pile of crap of cards. Like, See, we made a point. No, you didn't. You didn't make a point. She thought it was funny. She doesn't give a shit. She'll probably give them all to charity. She'll probably have them packaged up and sent to service members overseas and make it something useful, which will actually make what she did more useful than what you did. But she offended me. Well, wake the hell up. You don't get to control who says what. You control whether or not you're offended by this. So she makes a comment referring to, and not putting them down, by the way. Because, let's be honest, I have some smaller hospitals up around here that I've been to for various reasons. And you walk in there, and it's quiet. It's a library. Nothing's going on. And it's because there's just not that many people that this hospital serves. And I'm sure it goes into complete chaos at certain points in time. Her point was 
that during that period of chaos, they might only have a very small handful of people on staff, nurses and doctors alike. And there might have been plenty of time for that person to have eaten, relaxed, whatever. And it just so coincided that this thing happened to coincide with this mandated by the state break. But that person probably would rather save a life than sit there and do nothing. And for that, let us internet crucify her and everybody send her cards. And I'm just thinking, wow, what if all those people got together to influence something on behalf of nurses that actually made an effing difference in some shape or form or way? What? I don't know. I'm not a nurse, not my circus, not my monkeys. By the way, my wife was a nurse for over 20 years, and when she saw it, she said that was pretty stupid, and she went on with her life. She wasn't offended because it's not worth being offended over. But you're going to be offended. And why were people offended? Because you want to be offended. You want to be offended. I'm not saying you personally. I'm talking to America as a whole right now. America is addicted to being offended. Now, the reasoning behind this is actually kind of odd, but it gets to the heart of the problem. The reason people want to be offended is because being offended unites you with others who are also offended. In fact, we might even have contests about who is offended the most. And in doing this, we create this new form of tribalism, this online tribalism. But it's not new. It's how the crowds were moved by the emperors with speeches in, in the days of the Roman Empire and even before that. And by having this feeling of offense, we are all united and that we are offended by this thing. Or we're all united in the fact that we're offended that other people are offended by this thing because we're defending this thing. So this group is offended by the thing, and this group is offended by those offended by the thing. Okay. And then for defending the thing. What it really gives us is a sense of belonging. A sense of belonging. We feel like we belong to this group, this tribe. And therefore, because more people are stronger than less people, we are doing something. We are, we are now in our circle of control, if not at least our circle of influence. Because, gee, look, there's 87 other people that commented on this post that are pissed off too. Okay. You've not done shit. You've not accomplished anything. You, you, you have it. You, you just are angry. But it feels good. Because other people are angry with you. But what would have made a bigger difference in your life was spending that same amount of time writing a book about something you know about. Making a video about something you know about. Reading a book or watching a video about something you wanted to learn about. All four of those actions would have done a hell of a lot more for your life to make your life better and your family's life better than being outraged by the fact that one politician in Seattle that you'll never vote for and never influence the election in any way, even if you believe in the mythology of voting, unless you're one of those five to 8,000 people that swing vote in that district in Washington State, you are meaningless to that. Absolutely, 100% me. You have no impact at all. But you feel better. You feel better. It's cathartic. Guess that has a little bit inside your sucker. You control to the point where you have catharsis. You know where you'll feel better? When you don't have any debt. 
then you'll feel better. Another example recently of people being outraged, so outrageous. Chase or one of the other banks put something out. It was like a little uh, discussion between you and your bank account. It's like, me, why don't I have any money bank account? Why don't you drink coffee at home instead of Starbucks or something like that? And it went back and forth. And it ended with basically me, you know, being me or whoever was in the conversation with the bank account, not willing to do any of this stuff. And the bank account just saying, really? Well, everybody got offended by the bank because it's the bank's fault you're broke. We all know the banks are evil, right? And, and I think to a large degree, a lot of things that the banks do, the big banks especially, that are part of the Federal Reserve, are the most inherently evil organization on the planet. But they're not why you're broke. They were actually right. If, if you know, it, I, I said to one of these people, like, so you don't think that a whole shitload of people that are bitching about not having every, any money at all spend an awful lot of time standing in line at Starbucks? Bitching about not having money while they buy a $4 coffee? Because I've seen them do it, right? So th this actually made a point. Like, the, what you control is your spending, and your spending changes the balance of your bank account for good or for worse. Well, I'm broke. I don't have any money because I don't have a good job. Okay, you control whether you get a better job or not. Well, I have student loan debt. Okay, you took the student loan debt on. Now it's your problem. Now you have to do something. Bernie Sanders isn't going to fix it for you. By the way, even if he did somehow pull it off and get rid of your debt, you're just going to screw your life up again because you didn't take responsibility for the first debt. Most people, if you walked in with a magic debt elimination wand and eliminated their debt, they will be in more debt in two years than they were when you did it for them because they haven't had this moment where they've realized that it is their fault. It is their fault. And something can be... Something, something can be a situation where other people played a part in it and still be your fault. Yeah, I know you were 18 and you were marketed to that every child should go to college and you didn't really know and you were really still a kid and you were still living at home and your mom co-signed for you or whatever or talked you into it and your guidance counselor said it was... And I know that you were a bit naive when you signed that loan agreement But when you kept doing it and getting more and you ended up with a fine arts degree and you owe $80,000, you get some of the blame. You literally have no interest in what does this degree result in as far as career opportunities. I know the people loaning the money are only doing it because the government will make you pay it back and cover the difference until you do. I understand the predatory nature of this. I understand that if we, the government got out of the business of student loans and just said, hey, you got to take a loan, you got to do it, you got to find someone that will give you the money. The companies would be like, what's your GPA, what are your test scores, and what do you get a degree in? And they'd say, for this degree, for somebody with your, your qualifications so far, we'll loan you this much money for your first year. And then you can come back to us with your grades and your prospects of getting a job in this field that we know pays this much money, and if you're still qualified, we'll loan you money for your second year. I know it's predatory. I get it. You still did it. It's still your problem. And you can go through every single thing that makes life difficult for people. And on some level, the person with the greatest responsibility for where you are is you. What about pure victims? Guy was minding his own business. Somebody came up behind him to steal from him, stabbed him in the back with a screwdriver, paralyzed him, took his wallet, and ran away. No matter how much situational awareness was going on or whatever, it was going to happen. He's a victim, right? Yes. But he still has the majority of the responsibility for where he is now. From that moment forward. Now, you woke up, your legs don't work. What are you going to do? 
what are you going to do? Because I watched a guy in a wheelchair clean out a thousand freaking yards of swale with a hoe. I don't know how he ended up in that wheelchair, but it happened up in West Virginia on the side of a mountain. So he did something with what he had. And that's the part that no matter how you get where you are becomes your responsibility. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't help people. I'm all for helping people. When I see someone that I think is being unfairly attacked, I'm the guy that rallies the troops and says, let's raise some funds for this. Let's go do something about this. But it's still up to that person. It's up to that person to be a good steward of what other people do to help them. And the only thing you can do is commit to this for yourself, teach it to your kids, and teach it to anybody that will listen, and let it go when they won't. Because you don't control other people. You get sovereignty over one life. If there was one thing I could teach people that would really go in, you know when like you're talking to somebody, I have a, a friend of mine that says I'm a natural teacher, and he doesn't have it. And he says he's seen me talking to a person or a group of people, and they're not getting it. And long after he would have walked away and gave up, he's like, you just keep hammering and hammering, and all of a sudden I see it like, boop, oh, it went in. And I think to myself, I guess he won. My response to him was, no, they won, because they learned, right? They learned. If I could have one thing that I could, if I say it to a person, they it will go in, they will understand it, and they will adopt it into their lives. It would be that you have sovereignty over the life of only one human. So exercise it well. And that's you. Parents that want to tell their children how to live, what they should have a degree in, etc. Advice is one thing. Giving directives is another. You know, people that are trying to live vicariously through your kids. You had your chance. You had your chance when you were their age. And you are probably lying to yourself about how much of a chance you still have to do something with your own life. But instead of taking that and putting it on your shoulders, you want to put it on the shoulders of your kids. How dare you? They get sovereignty over one life. Theirs, don't take it from them. If our country would learn that, talk about making America great. The first nation whose citizens take this up as the common ideal. I have sovereignty over one life. That is my own. Will be the greatest nation that's ever existed. They will also be very close to a voluntarist society, if not full on. Because how do you separate that ideal from the fact that this person has a right to engage only in activities and only in things and only give up property when they choose to? If I have sovereignty, see, see how simple this is. So some of you that are totally opposed to that, you were totally on board when I just said you have sovereignty over one life, your own. Well, if you have sovereignty over your life, what right do I have to infringe upon your sovereignty over your life? The answer is I have none. And therefore, what right do you have to influence over the sovereignty, you know, to interfere with my sovereignty over my life? None. In fact, the only place where it's okay to tell somebody what they can or can't do, to intervene, to use force, to use coercion, is when that right is being broken either on you or somebody else that you're step, stepping in for because they are not strong enough to. If I see a guy beating the hell out of a little kid, you're fixing to see me beating the hell out of a guy because a little kid can't defend himself. Right? 
Now, I see a guy and he's disciplining his child in a way that I disagree with. I'm not intervening. That's his child. That's his life. But if I see a guy like grab a little kid by the neck and just start smacking the shit out of him, I'm telling you, the guy is getting picked up by his face and he's getting his head slammed into the, the hood of a car. And most of you out there would do the same thing because this is a universal human ideal. I'm now within my circle of control. You're abusing a child. I'm not allowing that to happen. I realize I might get arrested for this because the story might not go down the way that it happened, but damn well you're going to let go of that kid. And when we get it into those types of things, it becomes very clear. All I'm suggesting is that you take that clarity and not only have it in the acute situations that require risk, but in the mundane situations of your daily life. The way you do this is simply you have to check yourself. If you will ask yourself, put an alarm on your phone, a reminder, four times a day. Right now, am I acting in my circle of influence, control, or concern? Which one of those am I in right now? And how, how at this moment, the further out I am from my circle of control, how do I pull myself back into it? You don't do anything else. You just do it four times a day. In the beginning, you use a reminder on your phone. Put a, put a rubber band around your wrist. Yeah, you'll look stupid, so what? Wear a piece of jewelry you don't normally wear for a week. And every time you notice it, just think to yourself, which circle am I in, and how do I pull myself more into my circle of control? That's it. See, the thing is, I can't tell you what else to do. Because I don't control you, nor should I. I don't have sovereignty over you, nor should I. I'm trying to influence you to do this for yourself. It will change your life. I had a guy that came here, house sat for me last year when I was on vacation. So one of the reasons he wanted to do it, he felt he owed me his life. Pretty deep. Hitchy. What's going on? Pilot over in Afghanistan, flying missions. Doctors, you know, they lot, lots of regular health checkups. You're saying your blood pressure and all, you know, dude, you're going to do something here. You're going to stroke out. One day I had a conversation on the air about these types of things, and he just said, I thought about it. I thought about it, and I just decided that if I didn't control it, I was just going to let go of it and focus on the things I control. My blood pressure went down. My health got better. I think you saved my life. I said, well, you saved your life. Just happy to be part of it. It's a true story. Unfortunately, not everybody can do it that easily. Just like some people can sit down, never having played a piano before, you can show them a couple of things to do, and all of a sudden they're like, doo, 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 and they're just playing the piano. Some people can do that with a guitar. Some people, you know, they never really drew, but you show them some basic techniques of drawing, and they can draw. Some people have to struggle to learn to play a piano or a guitar or draw. So some people are going to have to put a lot more effort into asserting sovereignty over their own lives. They're going to need this little extra step. But I think it's all anybody needs because it's an innately human thing. I think being sovereign over your life is innately human as walking or breathing. But we have been programmed by society to believe that it's not because it's so easy so much easier well 
this happened because of that. I'm poor because of Republicans. I'm miserable because of Democrats. The government did this. My neighbor did that. This guy screwed me out of money. My parents said I should take out student loans. Shut the F up. Because none of that shit fixes your problem. And even if your problem is not your creation, it's not somebody else's problem. It's your own. And you're the only one that can do anything about it. And I don't know what your problems are. I don't know what your instructions are. I don't know what your actual blocks are, things that are actually impeding you, that truly need to be thought about and designed around. And I don't know which of your blocks are completely, totally in your head. You think you can't, and therefore you can't, but literally you could make a mental switch, like my friend did, and you could just do it. I don't know. So the only thing I can do is wake you up to your sovereignty. That's what I'm asking for you from, from you for today. If anything I've ever said has ever helped you at all, ever, I'm asking you to remind yourself in some way, minimum four times a day, that you are sovereign over your own life, to question yourself as to which circles you're currently occupying at that moment. Are you, are you being addicted to outrage? Are you worried about... Somebody, yeah, kind of means something to you, but you really can't change what they're doing? Are you influencing someone that you have some influence over, but you need to shut up and be done with it because you've done what you can? Or are you actively building your own life in a way that gives you what you want? Just four times a day, and I won't tell you what to do with it. I won't tell you what to do with it. It's not a 12-step plan. We're not trying to cure alcoholics here or drug addicts. It's a much simpler thing. All we're doing is reasserting the fact that I control my own life. If there was a gift that I could somehow give this country, it would be that gift. I can't give it to you. It's not something I can put in a package. I can't put it on the site and say, if you download this, this will happen. All I can do is influence you by challenging you to not think You're too good for this. A lot of people out there, well, that's fine for other people. I don't need to do this. Really? Are you spending the majority of your time building your life? Is, when you look at your life, are you like, I love my life. I don't want to change my life. There's nothing here that's not good enough in my life. Maybe there's some bigger things I want eventually, but I'm on my way there. I'm going to get there. It's going to be great. If so, that's fine. I still think you'd benefit from doing it. So everybody else... If you want what I'm trying to give today, I can't give it. You have to take it. And that's how. And with that, we'll keep today's episode short, right about an hour. We're going to go straight into um, Song of the Day today. Just remind you, you can shop at T-Spaz. I got some cool stuff there. And the item of the day is on the website if you want to see what it is. Because this song... Could not be more perfect for this show. And I do believe in some level of universal uh, synchronicity. Because I almost never even look at the songs John Adam has lined up for me until the day of the episode. Then I'm like, okay, what's, I just have a list and I go, here's today's song. And I started planning today's show two days ago. I had the, the notes halfway written uh, when I woke up this morning. I got this song. And it's by a band I've always really liked, but, you know, it's like I like a few of their songs. And uh, the first song I ever heard by them was a song that back in the 80s, everybody was like, is that Pink Floyd? 
Silent Lucidity. So, of course, the band is Queensryche. This is a much more recent song by them, and it's called Take Hold of the Flame. Man, talk about like a theme song for today's episode. And the concept is there are people who have lost their opportunity. Life passed them. Maybe the dash hyphen, you know, space present is still present. The year's not there yet, but they're sitting in an old folks' home regretting it or something. But I don't think so. I think the person this song is really all about is generally the person that has a lot they can still do. The opportunity hasn't passed them. They've replaced the excuse of, I don't have the opportunity, with the excuse of, I've lost the opportunity. It's still just an excuse. And excuses are like assholes, folks. Everybody's got one, and they all stink. That's what excuses are. This song is about ceasing to make the excuse and reach right into that flame and grab onto it. Take what you want because no one will give it to you. Today, I've tried to give you a new way to think about life. It's up to you to reach into the flame, pick it up, and go forward and use it to light your way as you build the life that you really want. With that, This has been Jack Spearco with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Oh